0: Well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, James 5, 7 to 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen, and also there's a, a Bible there somewhere around you in the back of the pew in front of you, and you'll find this on either page 856 or 899 of that pew Bible, depending on which printing of that you have. But James chapter 5, 7 through 12, the title of this morning's message is Patience in Suffering, and for some people, to live is to suffer. Uh, living is suffering. You think about extreme examples of that, uh, many elsewhere in the world, but the Dalit people in India, the lowest of the, of the lower caste in the caste system, the untouchables um, in that society, those who live under religious persecution um, all around the globe, Uh, those who have been falsely imprisoned and held in detestable, deplorable conditions, Uh, those who are in slavery. There's all kinds of uh, ways in which people, uh, just life is suffering. But, you know, closer to home, there are people who live with physical disabilities, um, constant pain of some other source, To be awake is to be in pain, and to be asleep is often to be awakened by pain. People who live in abusive relationships, people who struggle with severe mental illness, a suffering that in a a different kind of way is one of the most sinister because uh, it's kept in secret so often. And you're the only one that knows that it's a struggle. But to one degree or another, suffering and affliction are part of the human experience. And when you experience it, what resources do you draw upon for help and encouragement? Where do you go? How do you get through it? Well, James addresses that subject in chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. So let's look there together now. And as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand as we listen attentively to what the Lord has to say. Beginning in verse 7, reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, because we know we have need for instruction, for correction, Reproved reproof, for changing, change in uh, righteousness, training in righteousness, Lord, that we might be changed and shaped more into the image of Jesus, made more complete for what you've called us to on this earth. And God, you know every need here. You know every situation that people are dealing with. You know those Struggles and sufferings that are even private to people that only they know about. You know. And you know how that need must be ministered to. And so we ask that you would do so, Lord. Speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. Lord, would you always, always move me out of the way and just use my mouth as an instrument to communicate a living and true word to us today. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, you may recall um, that James opened his letter with a statement about enduring trials. And I'll say for those who are just joining us, we've been um, going through the book of James, wrapping it up next week, actually, uh, as we move on from there. But early at the very beginning of his letter, he opened with a statement about enduring trials in verse two and three of chapter one. Counted all joy when you encounter various uh, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. I think it says in some translations perseverance. And as he approaches the conclusion of the letter here, he returns to that theme: be patient, be steadfast. And so, it's patience in the face of trials that frame the letter. Which, which actually shines a little light on uh, the text from last week. If you were here, you remember that. James had a harsh rebuke for rich landowners who had defrauded workers out of their wages. They had, he had, they had fattened themselves on, on unpaid wages that were justly due to other people and, and thereby made their hardship harder and, and James James had a really harsh rebuke for those people. And part of the reason, again, that's illuminated by this passage this morning is that it's through such injustice and mistreatment that Christians experience real and regular suffering. The, the Christians dispersed abroad that James is writing to in the first century experienced real and regular suffering. The thing that's perhaps lost on us somewhat is the fact that he's he's addressing the average Christian. That when he talks about suffering and being patient in suffering, it's a message that applies to the average believer of the first century. Poverty and suffering were not exceptional challenges for a small percentage of them. They're part of just what came with being a Christian. I want to read a passage from um, a writing from the early centuries of the church, actually uh, probably dated around the end of the first century, maybe early um, second century, written by an unknown author, but who says in the letter he um, was a disciple of the apostles. And so it's generally regarded to be um, an authentic early work and an apologetic work. He's, he's writing to a Roman who has just encountered Christianity to some degree in Christians and is wondering about it. And so uh, this this writer is writing to kind of explain and defend Christians and Christianity. Um, It's called the Epistle to Diognetus. And in this particular passage, he's, he's, he's describing what he calls the confessedly paradoxical way of life of Christians. And here's what he says about them. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They're put to death and restored to life. They're poor and yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor they are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet they are justified. They're reviled and they bless. They're insulted and they uh, repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. That's the profile of a Christian in the early church. And so I'll say again, poverty and suffering were expected. Not just as part of life, but as part of one's identity as a Christian. That was true of the believers James wrote too true of the generation that followed. And if your thinking doesn't allow a category for that kind of thing, that people can, can walk in God's favor and walk in affliction at the same time, then then there's probably little you can hear from James out of this passage because that's exactly what he's speaking to. People who are loved and favored by God in spite of the fact that their life and lifestyle is one of suffering and affliction. But if your thinking does permit that, there's a wonderful exhortation here and it's basically that he offers two things a Christian is to do in the midst of suffering. to kind of major themes that run through this short passage number one wait patiently And number two live faithfully first is wait patiently and see you don't even think that's something to do right like that's not even to give me something else that i can do i mean like something i can do you know if you were praying maybe you've even done this sometime you know lord i'm in need i'm in distress. God, give me a word. I'm just gonna—I don't even know where to go. I'm just gonna open my Bible and point to a verse. Give me a word, Lord. You open it. You point to something like Psalm 37:7, and it says, "Be still and wait patiently for the Lord." You say, "Lord, I'm gonna open my Bible again. Give me another word, a different word. Give me something I could do. Because when we think of needing something practical, like that's not even practical." This is exactly what he says to do, wait patiently. He mentions the word patient or patience four times in this passage. The first right there in the opening phrase, and then down in verse 10, you may have picked up, he he explicitly says that it is suffering that provides the context in which patience is needed, that it's patience in suffering that he's speaking to. And there in verse seven, he says, the suffering Christian must wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. Like a farmer waits patiently for harvest time. So the the farmer knows the harvest will come, but there are things that have to happen before that. Uh, Namely, the early and late rains as the autumn and the spring rain. In fact, the NIV translates it that way. The early rain that would prepare the soil and then the late rain that would actually water the seed and the plants that would grow. So they just have to let the process work. The harvest will come. And in a similar way, the believer, suffering and struggling, just has to wait and let the process work. Let the Lord do what the Lord is doing and what he will do through that. And he says to undergird that patience in two ways. Strengthen your hearts, in verse 8, or establish your hearts, as it says in the ESV or the King James, I think the the NIV says stand firm. Establish your heart, strengthen your heart, stand firm. The idea is dig in, dig in and fortify your faith and don't give in to doubt. And then he says, secondly, consider the godly people of the past who remained steadfast. Be encouraged by the biographies of Believers who have gone before, who have also suffered themselves and yet have remained steadfast in their faith. They persevered in their faith. He's mentioned specifically Job. Consider those like Job who persevered in faith. You know, it wasn't a particular, particularly glorious perseverance, right, for Job. But the, but the point is he's considered blessed for just having remained faithful through it. Coming out on the other side. You think of examples like, uh, you know, I talked to somebody one time who was doing doctoral studies and said that, you know, some of the best um, advice that she received in getting her doctorate was just to finish her doctorate. Like, just keep doing it until it's done. Like, that's the secret to getting a doctorate. Just Just keep doing it and don't quit doing it. And one day... <laughs> You'll have a doctorate. You know, keep writing the dissertation when your dissertation makes you want to vomit. You know, just keep on. Strengthen your heart. Remain steadfast in it. But you you notice here, this patience is grounded in something. And it is the coming of the Lord. He says that twice, right? Be patient because the coming of the Lord is, is at hand. It calls to mind again that he died, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice for their sins. He demonstrated his lordship by rising from the dead and showing himself to hundreds of people. As we, uh, as Peter alluded to in the passage I read earlier, he said to them he would come again and gave the Holy Spirit as a down payment in Ephesians one, earnest money, earnest money deposit. I'm coming back, and let me just give you something that assures you I'm coming back. It it brings all that to mind when they're exhorted to remain patient for the coming of the Lord. Now, if you were hiking, if you went hiking in the wilderness and you got lost, if you didn't tell anybody when you were leaving, where you were going, what route you were hiking, when you expected to be at some checkpoint or when you expected to be back home or whatever, you are not going to wait patiently for somebody to come rescue you. Because nobody's coming. Because they don't know you're there. And there's, there's a, a, a similar message in the New Testament that for those in the world without Christ... There isn't something to hope in. But the the message to these believers in your suffering, especially when you're suffering is because you are a Christian. You know how you could relieve it? Just quit being a Christian. That's the issue for them. They could just stop believing and life would get easier for them. Now that's a different kind of perspective, isn't it? Because no matter what our challenges are, you don't face that kind of suffering and struggle. Right? You, you're, you, aren't, you don't suffer because you're a Christian in America. You know, being called a bigot or something isn't suffering, all right? People raising their eyebrow at you and calling you narrow-minded or whatever, that's not suffering. You might suffer in other ways, but for the most part, not because you are a Christian. But that's exactly their their situation. They had a remedy for their suffering and it was just to renounce Christ. A whole world of possibilities would open up to them when they were closed because they were believers. But because they trust in Christ and have tasted the grace of God, they could be confident he is coming for them. So unlike the person lost in the wilderness, that ought not to wait because there's nobody coming to rescue them. They, in their struggle and suffering and despair, know somebody, Jesus, is coming. They're waiting patiently for something. It is grounded in a reality. And the same is true for you and me, that even in your darkest hour of affliction... You're not forsaken. You're not forgotten. You're not invisible. And I believe there's probably somebody here who needs to hear that. That again, maybe it's a private sort of thing that, that is just oppressive to you. You live with it all the time. And you wonder, why hasn't God changed this situation for me? Does he not love me the same way he loves other people? Has he forgotten me? Do I just not belong to him? He does, and you do, if you trust in him. And he will come for you. Just wait patiently. You know, one of our biggest challenges in America is life is so good here. We forget we're waiting for something better. You know, it's like if you got your kids at Disney World and you say, hey, let's go back to the hotel. We're gonna go visit with grandpa. I got Mickey Mouse. You know, I can see grandpa later. But let's just finish up here at Magic Kingdom. And frankly, that is our perspective on this life. It is so, we think it is so good. They're like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to take that cruise first. And we forget, and we need to be reminded, and we need to meditate on the fact that there is something far better that we're waiting for, and that it's certain to come. Wait patiently, he says, and second, live faithfully. He gives two specific examples there that you, you may have picked up on, and it's, they're kind of interesting ones. But one is not grumbling in verse 9. The other is not swearing oaths. And I won't take time to sort of unpack both of those and, at risk of losing uh, perspective on the bigger theme here. But you may recall that one of the themes that James gave some attention to earlier in the letter was guarding the tongue. This is a pretty big deal for him. He's concerned throughout uh, this letter about a genuine faith, a faith that actually demonstrates itself, that, that it's consistent that what you say you believe affects the way you live so that other people would recognize that there's something consistent about your profession and about your walk, and he and he says guarding the tongue is a big part of that because when we get squeezed, so to so to speak, by circumstances, uh, what's inside of us comes out of our mouths, and both the grumbling and the swearing of false oaths reveal the sinful heart. That's really at Uh, root of the issue, and again, I won't elaborate on the specifics of why that's the case. But guard your mouth, he's saying to these people, lest it raise question about whether you really trust God. Uh, There's a a quote by um, an English Puritan minister from the 1600s named Thomas Brooks who wrote on the subject of affliction. And uh, one of the things he says is, in that hour of affliction, we need to say this, peace, O my soul, be still. Leave your muttering, leave your murmuring, leave your complaining, leave your chafing and vexing, and lay your hand upon your mouth and be silent. Well, that's not especially uplifting is it uh, but it's good advice that there's the sermon outline shut up and be quiet <laughs> it was good advice uh, when you were a parent and your kids were in the back seat uh, on that trip to disney world and uh, good advice for you and me as well be silent now again you want something more practical than that too but that's good practical advice Wait patiently, quietly. Put your hand literally over your mouth if you must. Because notice again that this caution is also issued on the grounds that the Lord is coming. And it's a little bit more implicit. It says um, that there's judgment coming. Did you notice he said in uh, verse... 9. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Down in verse 12, he says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's be found living a life that's consistent with the faith you claim to have, because the coming of the Lord will be attended by rescue. Pardon for some who have received that pardon and judgment for others. That's, again, exactly the message Peter had in Acts chapter 10 that Paul had um, at Athens in Acts chapter 17. Be found living a life consistent with the faith you claim to have, even in suffering. And one of the most practical ways to do that is just to put your hand over your mouth And be silent. Wait patiently, James says, and live faithfully. As Titus 1 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God, who never lies, who cannot lie, promised, and he who promised is faithful. Wait patiently. And live faithfully. I'll close with Romans eight eighteen, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you're faithful. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you accomplished uh, more for us than we can really comprehend through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we praise you for that. God, we pray... that even in the hour of suffering or affliction for someone else, that you would arouse compassion within us because we all have tasted it to some degree. And Lord, for those walking in it right now, those who walk in it all the time, Lord, would you just today by your spirit offer a, a special word Of encouragement through this text of Scripture that they're seen and not forgotten, not forsaken, but beloved, blessed because they persevere in faith. Would you keep them securely in your hand? Comfort them by your Spirit, clothe them with your grace, and walk with them every minute through the shadowed valley. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.